the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel, Abner gets offended and switches sides, offering to help David reunite the kingdom. We'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 3 verse 1. The title of the message is The Promise Keeper. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 3, 2 Samuel 3. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 24 of one of David's last encounters with King Saul. And David, in that encounter, made a promise to Saul that he would not harm Saul's family when he became king. That is normally how new kings handled their rivals. You wiped out anyone in their family so that no one could contest your reign. And when the civil war broke out between David and the other tribes led by Ishbosheth, Saul's remaining son, David had every intention of keeping that promise. And as such, David never goes on the offensive against Saul's family. And thus, after two years of war, when Abner offers to bring all Israel to David's side, David welcomes Abner like an honored guest. But even though David keeps his promise, the war continues because someone else takes matters into their own hands. So chapter 3, it says in verse 1, Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. It says here, now there was long war. It means an extended or protracted war. It went longer than it needed to between the house of Saul and the house of David. And in the process of this lengthening war, David grew stronger. It means he grew in his status. His status became greater, and Saul's house's status became lesser. It shrank. It says in verse 2, And unto David were sons born in Hebron. Now, that sounds like good news, right? David's a dad. He's going to finally be able to have a family, right? Eh, Not so much. When it says, and David had sons and only two years have gone by, unless those are twin sons, it implies multiple children from different mamas. And so this is not a good thing that's going on here. And so we're going to get a long list. It says, and his firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. We already knew about Ker. His second son was Chileab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. We knew about Ker. And then his third son was Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. Whoa, whoa, where did she come from? 
I mean, David's already got, he already knew he had two, and that was one too many. Where did she come from? Well, Geshur is a city-state on Israel's northeastern border, far to the northeast. It's very close, actually, to where Ishbosheth has set up his headquarters on the other side of Jordan. And so the idea here is that since David couldn't secure the allegiance of most of the other tribes, he went outside Israel to find allies. And treaties like this were usually secured through marriages, through intermarriage. And so that's where she comes from. We'll find out her son Absalom, of course, factors much later on into David's story. Verse 4, that's not it. And the fourth was Adonijah, the son of Haggith. And the fifth was Shephatiah, the son of Abital. And the sixth was Ithream by Egla, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. We are not given the origins of these other three women. It's possible they were also political marriages. But however they have become part of David's harem, it doesn't matter. It's wrong. God wasn't cool with two wives. He's certainly not any cooler with six. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, this isn't even something that's up for discussion. In Deuteronomy 17, God gives clear instructions that Israel's kings were not to operate like the kings of other nations. Like everything else in Israel, the kingship was supposed to be different in a way that pointed to the Lord. And so in Deuteronomy 17, verse 14, it gives instructions for the kings of Israel. It says, when you are come unto the land which the Lord your God gives you and shall possess it and shall dwell therein and shall say, I will set a king over me like as all the nations that are about me. When that's your heart, guess what? You don't get to have a king like everybody else. You shall in any wise set him king over you whom the Lord your God shall choose. One from among your brothers shall you set king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you, which is not your brother. Verse 16, but he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said unto you, you shall henceforth return no more that way. And here it is. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart does not turn away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And then God gave some other positive stipulations that he was supposed to do these things. Don't do's. We read all those. And then there's some other things that he was supposed to do. Either way, this is not what David's done here. This directly disobeys God's commands for kings. And because David disobeyed God in this, there were great consequences. And so the writer is just letting us see the situation now so we understand when those consequences come into the story. Now, verse 6, we move on to the main thrust of this chapter, which is, why was this protracted? What happened? Well, verse 6 says, And it came to pass, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, it says that Abner made himself strong for the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah. So Abner, we're going to see, is seeing that things are going poorly for his side of the war, and he is going to strengthen his position. While David is gaining status and Saul's side is shrinking in status, Abner openly cements his position as the power behind the throne by doing something. It mentions here that Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah. Now, while Scripture doesn't mention Saul having other wives, we can know here now at least that he had 
one concubine. Now, it was very common for kings to have concubines back then. The size of a king's harem was usually considered the size of his strength and influence. But this is yet another failure on Saul's part, another attempt to create optics, that he's a, he's a big honcho, he's a, he's a king, king. Well, when Saul died, Saul's concubine, and if he had any other concubines, they would become Ishbosheths now that he was king. In fact, it was an extremely common practice to openly show that you had slept with your predecessor's harem as kind of a final triumph over them. So for Abner to engage with this concubine means that he is setting himself up as the inheritor of Saul's throne. Now, before we get to Ishbosheth's response to that, I do think it's important to point out that God takes the time to name not just this woman, Rizpah, but also to name the women in David's harem. These were real people with real families, with real hopes and real dreams. And my guess would be that being passed around from man to man certainly wasn't part of that, nor was it part of God's intended plan for them. I bring this up because if you're married right now or if you're dating someone, that person is not your toy to play with. They are a person created in the image of God with a name that he knows and a life that he sees. And the Lord has serious words for those who take advantage of someone because of their weakened position. In Deuteronomy, it talked about how if you take advantage of a foreigner or a widow or an orphan, and it mentions that if you do that and then they cry unto the Lord, the Lord says to them, don't you know that I will hear their cry? Don't you know that I will answer them speedily? And so the concept is, is that when someone's crying out to the Lord because, you know, they're in a weakened position or a vulnerable position and someone else takes advantage of him, that's a big deal. And, and so the Lord, he calls us to be different. It's a true religion and undefiled, that which is pure, is to take care of orphans, to take care of widows, not to exploit them. And so, if you're in any type of a position like that, don't take advantage of those who are at your mercy. Now, back to Second Samuel chapter 3 here. Abner may have propped up Ishbosheth as the ruler of Israel, but he saw Ishbosheth's inability to grow the kingdom as a sign that they would not win this conflict unless he stepped in. But when Ishbosheth finds out what he's done, he confronts his uncle. And so in the middle of verse 7, it says, And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Wherefore, why have you gone in unto my father's concubine? And then Abner was very wroth for the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head which against Judah do show kindness this day unto the house of Saul your father, to his brethren and to his friends, and I have not delivered you into the hand of David that you would charge me today with a fault concerning this woman? When challenged by Ishbosheth here, he is, is the phrase here that he was very wroth, it means his anger burned toward Ishbosheth. The words that he spoke. Well, what were the words that he spoke? Well, it mentions here, it says, Am I a dog's head? He says that you would charge me today with a fault concerning this woman. That's the main question. He's got all sorts of flowery language in the middle of that. But that's the main question. Do you insult me? 
You know, the idea here that charge means to summon a formal gathering. It means to punish, to examine. The word fault there means guilt, sin, punishment. Whether Ishbosheth did this in front of other people or he did this privately one-on-one with Abner, we don't know. But this was a formal accusation. It was a formal examination, which what he's communicating is it will result in Abner's punishment if he's found guilty. And Abner He goes ballistic. Abner's words hit him like a fire and something snaps inside of him. And he goes, am I a dog's head? I don't use that insult normally. However, that was a really bad one back then. I mean, it's one of the worst insults you could give back in that day. Is that what you're saying? Is he saying to me here? And then he speaks of the fact which against Judah do show kindness. I I have stood up to David. I've stood up to that tribe that crowned him king when you should have been king, in his mind. Of course, God had different plans. I have shown kindness this day to the house of Saul, your father, to his brethren and to his friends. I didn't deliver you under the hand of David. The word there for kindness is hesed. It's that word that's used of God's love for us, his loyal love, his unwavering devotion. Abner's reaction is, do you you think I did this because I'm some petty thief? I'm the most loyal person to your family in the kingdom. I didn't do this because I want to kill you and take your place. I did this because I'm the only hope for us to win this thing. And when Ishbosheth does not respond the way Abner wants, when he says this, Abner snaps even further. Verse 9, he says, so do God to Abner and more also, except as the Lord has sworn to David, even so I do to him to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up uh, the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan even unto Beersheba. Abner here makes a new oath with the consequence, you want to punish me? Well, I make an oath here. And if it's public, he's doing it in front of me. I make an oath here before God right now. Do whatever you want to me. But let God strike me dead, basically, is what he's saying, if I don't make David king over all Israel from top to bottom. I'm done with you, is what he's saying to Ishbosheth. This war's over. Abner promises to reunite the kingdom under David. And it's interesting because he promises to do so in obedience to God's promise to David. And he promises to do it with all of his energy so that there's not a single holdout in all of the promised land. Now, this interaction between Abner and Ishbosheth is sad on so many levels. First off, it shows us that Saul's entire family knew what God wanted. It wasn't just Saul who had been rebelling against the Lord. It was the entire family, with obviously the exception of Jonathan. Second, and I've seen this sometimes, obedience to God is never to be used as a bludgeon upon those who hurt you or whom you disagree with. Abner basically says, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm going to do what God says from now on. You're on your own. That's not a godly attitude. (laughs) That's not a godly attitude. That's not how you handle a disagreement. That's not how you handle someone's behavior that you don't like. Oh, really? That's what you want to do? Fine. I'm going to do what God says from now on. You're on your own. In John 14, 15, it tells us why we obey God. In John 14, 15, it says those famous words, If you love me, keep my commandments. And then, of course, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. 
if a man say, I love God and hate, hate his brother, he's a liar. For he that does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Abner can't claim to be some spiritual loyal man to God right now because he, he doesn't care about Ishbosheth. And yet he's going to go through with it. He says, if I fail, then God will punish me. So do whatever you want to me, Ishi. And you know what? Ishbosheth backs down. He says he could not answer Abner a word again because he feared him. The phrase there, could not, means he was not bold enough. He dared not. He did not have the capacity to return words to what Abner had said because he was terrified of him. Ishbosheth was never a great leader. He was not a man of great courage. He was the wrong man to lead Israel, but that, of course, does not make Abner's actions correct. But Abner's committed to his oath, so he doesn't waste any time moving forward with his plan. Verse 12, Abner reaches out to David with an offer of peace. It says, and Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, that's Ishbosheth's behalf, since the king did nothing to stop Abner, it looks like this war is finally going to come to an end. He said to David, whose is the land? Saying also, make your league with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring about all Israel unto you. Whose is the land? To whom does the land belong is the question. And within the question, the unspoken answer is obvious to all of them, that the heart of the people are leaning toward David. And so he says, listen, make your league with me, make your covenant with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring about all Israel unto you. Let's come to an official agreement, David, that makes everybody a winner here. No more war, no bloody succession. I'll pledge my loyalty to you, and I'll bring all the other tribes with me, and we can end this nonsense. It's a good offer. But David has heard offers like this from Saul's family before, hasn't he? Abner, Saul's uncle. I mean, this is not a a situation that David's not been in before. And none of those promises, those agreements stuck before. So David replies with a demand to prove their genuineness. Verse 13. And he, David said, well, that's, that's agreeable to me. I like this plan. I will make a league with you, but one thing I require of you, that is you shall not see my face except you bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Deliver me my wife Michael, which I espoused to me for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. David says, We're not sitting down to hammer anything out until you honor your past agreement with me. And then we can start talking about new ones. David, if you remember when he was still working for Saul, that he promised that whoever found a hundred foreskins or something like that, David doubled it up. I don't remember off the top of my head. But he said, whoever does this, he can have my daughter, Michael, to wife. And he did that hoping that David would end up dead because he knew David loved Michael. He knew Michael loved David. He knew he would jump at this and maybe he'd risk his life and end up dead. But David went above and beyond, slew twice as many as Saul required. And so Saul had to acquiesce and give Michael, his daughter, to David. But David hasn't seen Michael in over a decade. Saul took her away after David had to flee, had her marry another man. David has had at least six other wives at this point. 
And she's been married to a third man now during this entire time. Now, we know that they truly cared for one another when they initially got married, whether David still cares at this point or this is just a test of Abner's genuineness, the Scripture doesn't tell us. What it does tell us, though, is that Ishbosheth agrees to his demands. And so verse 15 says, And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, even from Faltiel, the son of Laish. And her husband went, this is one of the saddest parts of Scripture, her husband went with her along weeping behind her to Bahurim, that's like a 60-mile trip. And then Abner said unto him, go return, and he returned. This dude's crying his eyes out the entire time he travels with her until he gets to a place called Baharim. It's about a mile northeast of Jerusalem, about 10 miles from Hebron. In other words, this is as far as you go, buddy, because if you go any further, you're going to end up interfering with the meeting. And so Abner says, time to go home. When you do stuff that God says you're not supposed to do, it causes pain. I'll leave it at that. You know, it causes pain. Michael already had a husband. She didn't need a second or a third one. Verse 17. And Abner had communication with the elders of Israel, saying, You sought for David in times past to be king over you. Now then, do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. Before Abner met with David, he sent messengers to the leaders from each of the tribes to secure their loyalty to David, because it would look very bad if Abner showed up promising to bring the other tribes to David, but they all remained uncommitted. And he reminds them, he says, In times past, you sought for David to be king over you. The, the phrase there in times past, it means both a long time ago and just the other day. While many Israelis loved Saul, many others thought David would have been a better king. And they thought that way back when Saul was still alive, and they've been thinking it during this two-year civil war. And so Abner tells them that now it was time to put their thoughts into action. Now then, do it, he says in verse 18. Why? Because the Lord has spoken about David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, that's how I'm going to rescue my people Israel, out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. He reminds them, you know what, we have a real enemy right now. And I, this was a mistake. The whole dividing the kingdom up, that was a mistake I made. So now let's fix it and let's start turning our arrows and our swords at the real enemy. To which, again, I would say how sad that Abner and all of these tribal leaders knew this knew these words from God about David, but maintained a conflict with him. Listen, don't be stubborn and self-willed like these guys were. Saul may be dead, but people are living out his legacy. Don't be that. Now, most of these tribes, even if they were unenthusiastic about David, at this point, it probably wouldn't be too hard to convince. The Philistines are living in their homes. Most of them have fled across the other side of Jordan. However, one tribe did require a personal visit from Abner, Abner's tribe, his own family. Verse 19, and Abner also spoke in the ears, so he was the messenger to them. He didn't send other messengers or communication to them. He spoke in the ears of Benjamin, and Abner went also to speak in the ears of David and Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel, and that seemed good to the whole house of Benjamin. He said, guys, this is what we need to do. I know Saul was our guy, but this is what we need to do. And the phrase, it seemed good, it means we want that too. And so having convinced Benjamin and the other tribes to pledge their loyalty to David, Abner finally arrives at Hebron with their commitments, verse 20. So Abner 
came to David to Hebron and 20 men with him. And David made Abner and the men that were with him a feast. And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel unto my Lord, the king, that they may make a league with you and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. And so David sent Abner away and he went in peace. David makes a feast when they come into town, even though it's an enemy combatant at that point in time, because David never wanted this conflict. And he needed this to be a solid reunification, not a weak one. Treating Abner and the other men who came with him with honor would go a long way to mending fences. And from all the appearances here, verse 21, the conversation doesn't appear to last very long. Abner, and every time I read about him, he strikes me as a man who's straight to the point. David, everybody's on board. I'm good to go if you are. He says, and when David says, that's good enough for me, there's Michael. I I realize you're genuine in this. And so he says, all right, I'm out of here. I'm going to go get the tribes. We're going to come make you king and we can move on. I imagine Abner being a warrior who hated the Philistines. He was probably ready to wet his sword once again on Philistine instead of fellow Israeli. He wanted all this past him at this point in time. And so David, the Bible tells us, he sent him away in peace. He went in peace. The word there, in peace, means without a fear in the world. Not as an enemy, but now as a fellow citizen. And thus, it looks like the civil war is finally at an end. But there's a reason the chapter starts off by saying the war was protracted. And that reason comes in verse 22, a man named Joab. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.